Hello and welcome to the Practice Shield Podcast, episode 26. We're back from our holiday and it's been uh, a lot of sport while we've been away. The uh, Australian men's cricket team won the T20 World Cup and I can't believe it, Blaze can't believe it. But on today's podcast, we will be talking about LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart's situation in the NBA yesterday. Absolutely crazy. The Tim Payne scandal and him uh, stepping down from the captain of the Australian men's test cricket team. The Dolphins, they're still waiting to sign that marquee player for their inaugural season in 2023. And we end the podcast talking about the Wallabies November tour and a bit of a review on it, uh, a bit of a failed trip over uh, there in England. Uh, shout out to Sencho, as always, for providing that killer intro and, as always, introducing my mate Blaze McKee. Blaze, how are you? Very good, man. Ready to get it back going. Now, we're obviously coming back from the holiday. While we were away, we watched all the semi finals of the World Cup and the final. Absolutely amazing. You went 0 3 in predictions. Just want to get that out there. Um, what did you think of the Aussies? taking home the, the silverware. Pretty incredible. I think before the tournament started, not many people would have picked a New Zealand-Australia final, but that's what it was, and, and Australia got the job done. But, you know, as Australian cricket like to do, they've uh, kind of stuffed up their own celebration parade with a, with a bit of scandal this week. Ooh. But, yeah, it was a great, great little celebration for the few days there. No, nah, it was awesome. But what have you enjoyed in the last week of sport? I think we'll get on to it later, but there was, a, there was a really great weekend of rugby over the weekend. It was the last weekend of international rugby for the year, and, and there were some real great games. Okay, and if you'd like to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, go and look up the handle at T underscore practice drill. We're keeping up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball. But Blaze, let's get straight into it. And as I said in the introduction, we're starting off talking about basketball. Now, we don't usually start off our podcast talking about this, but it's just fresh news. So Isaiah Stewart of the Detroit Pistons, and obviously LeBron James of the Lakers, of goat fame um, was in a, was caught up in an altercation uh, in their match on Monday, where basically LeBron James was trying to box out on uh, on the free throw from the Pistons, and he wasn't really liking Isaiah Stewart kind of getting into him and and kind of just it's we'll get into it in a bit. It's it's a very confusing situation. He turns around and basically punches him in the eye and. Uh, with kind of the side of his fist. And it ends up causing this big, you know, blue where the coaches have come onto the floor. They're trying to separate the two. LeBron's being mainly apologetic and trying to get out of the altercation, whereas Isaiah Stewart has gone ballistic, running into tunnels, trying to come out other exits, fooling security and his coaches, trying to, you know, find a way to get to LeBron and the other Lakers players. Um, But it was insane. But... Fresh news out of the NBA is that LeBron James has been suspended for one game, which is fair enough. That's what I uh, thought should happen. And Isaiah Stewart has been banned for two games. And I think that's because of the carry-on afterwards. It definitely didn't wasn't warranted. And, you know, the, the damage of running over coaches and security and referees, it's just uh, it's not a good look. But, Blaze, what do you make of this whole situation? It was pretty wild, you know. I don't think in the NBA or any sport, for that matter, you really see these events escalate to that, uh, you know, level these days. Maybe in the 80s and 90s, you know, the basketball, you see those famous scenes, you know, the Malice and the Palace where it really gets crazy. Yeah. But this was wild. It was three or four minutes of him 
being restrained by coaches. I think Cade Cunningham was in there for a long time, his teammate. <laughs> then he's walked back and you think it's going to end and then he's broken free, little step to the left and, and he's taking a charge again. And then even trying to run back through the tunnel and then trying to run out the other side, it was pretty wild. And, you know, on one side, I guess you laugh and you think this is crazy, but on the other side, you think, man, what would have happened if he had managed to break through all those uh, coaches and, and made it to a Lakers you know, team member would have been maybe some pretty devastating impact. Oh, it would have. If he got through to LeBron James, it would have been uh, interesting. I think, obviously, LeBron, 36, 37 now, I think. Uh, be interesting to see if he can throw those hands, you know. But, uh, no, it was absolutely crazy. And and for those who missed it, I think the, the best slash worst part of it was when Isaiah Stewart got separated to the other end of the court and he's talking to the coach, he's going, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the coaches kind of relax for a split second where they're kind of just walking with him back. And he just throws a goosey and he just goes straight through, runs over Cade Cunningham, runs over, you know, the coaches, uh, some other people, the security trying to separate it, trying to get through. And Westbrook's up there trying to throw hands, Anthony Davis as well. It really was an ugly situation, obviously something the NBA don't want a part of their brand, but... You know, I'm happy it's been solved with uh, properly. Obviously, you know, two games for Stewart, one game for LeBron. Um, but it's just a miscommunication. I really think um, what LeBron James is trying to do is, like they do in AFL and NRL, especially in NRL when they're kind of held up in a tackle and they've got their arm out, the defender tries to, you know, punch their arm down. Um, it was kind of like that. But I don't think LeBron knew how close he was, kind of turned around and clipped him. Do, do you agree with that? Do you think that's kind of the case? Yeah, I think so. And he probably just clipped him right on that spot on the on the forehead there where it probably opens up pretty easily. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Stuart has a bit of a temper on him. No, he needed five stitches to fix that. So it was obviously a decent uh, whack. But what really happened because of this is it, is it changed the game completely because the Lakers then just started ripping and tearing and they came back from 17 points down. Uh, Westbrook and Anthony Davis combined for a majority of the points and really you know put the Pistons to bed and in a game that was looking like another headline for the Lakers' as worst loss of the season. And uh, if they lost that game, they'd be two games behind a 50% win rate. So they would have really dug themselves a hole, but they've uh, uh, they've been able to salvage it, and they're at 9-9 nine and nine now. But we'll move on to topic number two, which is by far the most interesting topic in the past week of sport, in my opinion. Tim Payne, Aussie skipper, has now stepped down from the captaincy following a sexting scandal which was leaked from back in 2017. Now, this investigation was held at the time sold behind closed doors, and it's now re-emerged. He was cleared of wrongdoing. It was a consensual thing. It was mainly just a moral problem in the end for Tim Payne and obviously having a wife and children, uh, probably not the thing you want to be doing. Um, what do you think about this? This has been a, a, uh, a disappointing week in Australian cricket. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I guess, given the timeline of the whole thing, it's a bit hard to kind of make up exactly when it happened and, and when Cricket Australia knew, especially, you know, around... It was around the time he was also promoted to captain of Australia. So seeing more, I think, for me, the interesting part is how Cricket Australia handled it. And, you know, I think they would have done a lot of hard work to obviously keep it internal at the time so yeah. that they could uh, promote 
Tim Payne and, and promote his clean skin, I guess, character to the public. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. It's very hard to to make a judgment on what's happened because there seems to be a bit of a lack of information. You kind of know, well, this is the time that it happened. It was sold behind closed doors. And I think Tim Payne kind of, that's what I really liked about his um, statement that he that he gave, which was, you know, he just got it all out there for what the public needed to know is that he made a mistake. He doesn't want to let his family go through this again. But for me, it raises the question is, you know, he's probably right. You don't want to drag your family through this when it's already been, you know, resolved behind closed doors. But is there a bit of backroom stuff going on from Cricket Australia in terms of, you know, mate, you know, if you step down, we'll let you play. Or if you don't want to step down, we'll just sack you from captain and you won't be picked and we'll pick a replacement wicketkeeper. What do you think? Yeah, I think they definitely would have been, you know, a few crazy hours there at Cricket Australia trying to sort out how they were going to, uh, I guess, minimise the damage of this uh, story going public. It's funny, actually, on Friday, I think this came out, I was I was doing some cricket coaching and, and a friend of mine who does some work at 2GB was telling me to look out the news. There's, you know, he he was he had scheduled an interview with a Cricket Australia player for the radio and, and it got cancelled kind of last minute. They'd been told that all the players had gone into a kind of lockdown and were having some urgent meetings. Jeez. So I was thinking maybe someone's been injured or maybe someone's been caught into the Ashes squad. And then about an hour later, this, this story comes out. And, you know, even that hour at school, we were all speculating and thinking what's going on. So I can only imagine behind the uh, scenes there, there must have been some wild hours of, of them first being alerted that this was going to go public and then trying to figure out how to minimise the risk. And, and definitely, I think there would have been some maybe some backroom deals. And, you know, it's probably Tim Payne's last series anyway. So, yeah, yeah. so I can see him retiring. He's pretty close to the end there. And, and it's maybe unfortunate that his, uh, I guess, character might be tarnished in this way. But as you say, maybe some, you know, more moral issues rather than, you know anything else yeah yeah see for me um that's a crazy story by the way um but for me it's i feel bad for tim Payne as a cricketer now i'm not gonna you know stand here and support his actions because that's it's beyond stupid what he did but you know as a cricketer tim Payne is is a crazily talented cricketer um who missed his opportunity to play for the australian team in his prime because he was coming up. He was looking good. He was, you know, selected to play, and he broke his thumb in the last Sheffield Shield game before he would have been uh, picked to play for Australia. And then Brad Haddon came in and, you know, really held down that spot for a while. And then since then, we've had Wade, Neville, Hanscom for a bit as well. Um, and then he finally got his chance, and it's kind of just been rocky the whole way through, trying to, you know, play a whole summer without Smith and Warner. And, you know, it, it hasn't been the, the best first-class career that it was kind of looking like being when he was younger. So I feel for him there. And and to not be able to finish off your career uh, as, you know, Australian Test captain, win the Ashes on Australian home soil, 5-0. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's really... It, it's sad in my opinion. But do you think this clean skin image is going to come back to bite Tim Payne and Cricket Australia? Yeah, I think that's, you know, as we said, probably the handling of the situation is maybe at question as well from Cricket Australia. Obviously, they knew about this when he was promoted to captain and they still chose to promote that yeah. that kind of character to the public. And, and I think that's always going to be dangerous because 
when you promote someone as this great leader and, and you know, a great morally moral person, you know, part of their, I guess, mantra with Justin Langer when they took over from Sandpaper was, you know, they wanted to create better people and, and not just have success on the cricket field. And then, you know, you see anything, any little thing, even when, you know, he gets caught sledging on, on a stump mic, his character starts to get questioned because he's being promoted as such a clean skin yeah. and such a good leader. So I think the handling of yeah his character and his the promotion of his character through the media in his time at as captain has really, I guess, come back to bite them both. You know what else it raises to me, and we haven't spoken about this, is I, I'm going to argue that, yeah, it probably looks bad for Cricket Australia, but at the same time, I think it looks it's actually good for them because let's say that there has been a backroom deal and they've gone step down man like it's not it's not a good look for our test captain to be involved in this kind of stuff all australia cricket australia does is you know the right thing by like morally so you have your captain involved in a sexing scandal tell him if this is the case Step aside, man, because, you know, you've only got one more series. We'll pick you if that's what they're going to end up doing. With sandpaper, harsh penalties to the ones who were involved. You look at all the other nations around the world. They don't handle their cricketers like this. Joe Root's got a racism thing about him at the moment. He's not going to be told to stand down as, as test captain. Ben Stokes, when he had that whole thing, wasn't asked to step down. Then there was Pakistan with their ball tampering and India with their ball tampering in the past. Like Those other nations don't handle those situations the way that Australia does, that we do. Um, so I think for the public, they're going to be like, oh, Cricket Australian, Australian cricket is bad. Like there's got a, They've got some dark stuff behind closed doors. But I think it's more like every team has that. They're just... They just expose it a lot more. I don't know. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. yeah that, that's that's what's starting to come up to me. But we'll go back to t- focusing on Tim Payne. Is he still on the Australian side for this Ashes t- series? I think, given that the Ashes series is just around the corner, you know, there's. I think the English are actually starting a trial game today, an internal yeah. trial game today. So I think, given the closeness of the series, I think it's going to be pretty hard to make a change there. I think when you look at the wicket-keeping options in Australia, you know, you've got Matt Wade, who's in some very good form with the bat, but, you know, he's got a side strain that he picked up at the World Cup, so I don't know if he'll be available, and if he is, he'll be under a bit of an injury cloud. Yeah. Then, obviously, you've got Alex Carey, who, who's been in reasonable form in the Sheffield Shield, but, you know, hasn't done it at test level and has just been dropped from the Australian T20 setup, so you never know what his sort of confidence around it is like. Then you've got guys like Josh English. Sam Whiteman's been scoring a lot of runs for WA, but again, untested at that next level. Yeah. So I think given the closeness of the series and I guess the work that Tim Payne has done over the last you know, three or four years, and you know he's still quality behind the stumps. So yeah. I think he'll play this series and then and then they'll look to the next. If the series was, if this was back at the start of the summer, maybe they'd be looking at another option. But I think given it's so close, it's going to be hard to make a change there. Yeah, definitely. Because you'd want, out of all the wicket-keeping options, I would go Matthew Wade, and even then I'm hesitant. But it's only because he's you know tried and tested in that um, arena before. Ashes cricket is different as well. Uh, from all my experience, because I've played so many Ashes games. Um, but, you know, from what you hear from, you know, former players talking about it the intensity of the games how much more the players want to win um compared to you know a series against 
Pakistan or India or something like that. Like you want to win these ones more. Um, so I'd keep Tim Payne. Um, who knows? Maybe not being captain will help him. Maybe that's where he'll get his first ton. Maybe you know he's a, a little bit cleaner with the gloves. Like it's a hard situation. It's kind of what we were talking about in our previous podcast about the bowling lineup for Australia at the moment. How there's not really anyone knocking on the door who could really you know if Cummins went down, they could step straight back up. But uh, we'll move on to our third topic. Now, obviously, uh, the Dolphins, the 17th team introduced to the NRL, their inaugural season coming up in 2023. They were looking good at the start. It was like, yeah, Redcliffe Dolphins. Then they dropped the Redcliffe. Then they signed Bennett. You go, okay, sure. He's going to get so many players to come. And it hasn't really been the case so far. The Wayne Bennett factor hasn't struck just yet. I still believe it will. But a lot of teams have gone and secured their star players who were on the Dolphins' radar. So from Melbourne, there was Harry Grant, Cameron Munster, Christian Welch, all signed back up. Regan Campbell-Gillard for Parramatta, signed. Cody Walker, not that he was really on the radar, but he's been signed, so he's not uh, an option for them. And then last night, Tino was looking like, yeah, he's going, he's leaving, and the Titans... Somehow keep him. Four-year, $3.3 million deal. Huge deal. A lot of money in the forwards there for the Gold Coast Titans, uh, which I'm happy with. I obviously go for the Titans. I think it's uh, good. that Fafida and Tino are definitely our two best players. Um, but there's still some players on the market, but it's whether they're going to be able to land them, whether, they ha- uh, whether they're going to have to pay overs to lure them away from their club. So Ponga... Reed Marnie, Junior Paulo, Appy Corusau, and Brandon Smith are kind of the five that are in the fold around the Dolphins. What do you, what do you think about the situation? Do you think they're going to be able to land maybe three out of the five, four out of the five? Well, I think the first thing to, to say is obviously they're starting their roster from scratch, so there's yeah. going to be a lot of players you know, linked. I think every player that's off contract is going to be linked with the Dolphins <laughs> yeah, at some yeah. point. And obviously Wayne Bennett, you know, he is a huge factor, but I still think there's there's a lot of uncertainty for the players surrounding the Dolphins. You know, I don't believe they've announced their assistant kind of coaching setup. You know, whether they're going to play their games is still a bit uncertain. And the other big thing is they don't know who they're going to be playing with. You know, I think a big thing for players is who who they're going to link up with. They'll be talking to other teammates. When You know, if they're going to join the Roosters, they'll be talking to Joey Manu, you know, Jared Weirah Hargraves, those sort of players yeah. are saying, hey, what's it like around Sydney? You know, where can you live? Those sort of factors are also important. So I think it's going to be very difficult and maybe a bit more difficult than people assume for the Dolphins to, to secure big contracts. For me, I'd be looking at Kalen Ponger as their number one, you know, target. I think, one, he is an incredible player. Still, obviously, a bit unproven. He's He's got a huge amount of potential and probably hasn't, maybe lived up to that quite, particularly at club length. He's been incredible in State of Origins when he's played in the past. But he's the one guy, he can do it on the field, and marketing-wise, he's going to be pretty incredible for them. So in the back line, I'd be definitely looking at um, him. In the forwards, Brandon Smith, I think, is the name that jumps out, but there's a lot of clubs after him, and, and he's going to be a difficult one to sign. And, and Brandon Smith, there's still a lot of questions around him as well, you know, there's he hasn't played much standalone hooker at Melbourne. He probably can do it, and he probably can do it well. But there's still a bit of uncertainty there, compared to someone like Reed Marnie, who 
has been the standalone hooker at, at the Parramatta Eels for a while now. Yeah, for me, I 100% agree. Kalen Ponga is the go-to guy because also I think about like when I was younger and the players that I found exciting, like Greg Inglis, right? Um, Billy Slater. They're the kind of guys that are like quick, fast, that make something out of nothing. That's what Kalen Ponga is. So I think you kind of want to get the... Not that this is their target audience, but this is kind of what would drive fans and families into the games is the younger kids being like, oh, I want to be like that guy. I don't think like someone like Junior Paulo has that fact that, oh, I want to be like Junior Paulo, even though Junior Paulo is a freak and a great forward. It's like Pong is more marketable than him. And to your point about, you know, not knowing who they're playing with, that's why they need to sign someone now because I reckon if you sign Ponga, you get the interest of Brandon Smith. You get the interest of Reed Marnie, Junior Paulo. I think Coruscant will stay at Penrith. I just have that feeling like um, maybe you'll take unders or something to stay there. Who, who knows? I don't really know their cap situation at the moment, but I can't see Ponga staying at the Knights. I don't see the point of staying at the Knights. Like, if I'm him, like, and you don't want to play at the Knights, but you don't want to play rugby league, go and play for the All Blacks. Go, like, go not... He might not even get into their setup, but like he's a naturally freakish athlete. Like he can do anything. So yeah, for the Dolphins, gotta go after him. He's gotta be the marquee signing. But after that, it's Brandon Smith for me. I just think it's more realistic that you get like a Ponga Marnie instead of like a Ponga Brandon Smith. But who knows? Because like you said, they're starting from scratch. They can throw money at a couple players. Um, but Smith now reportedly, as you said, tossing up between a few clubs. Melbourne, who he's already at. Sydney Roosters, he's having a meeting with them as we speak. And also the Redcliffe Dolphins, where he was just at the pokies. He wasn't actually you know, having a meeting with them. That was, <laughs> that was uh, a pretty good one there from Brandon Smith. But where do you think he'll end up? Because all of them have their grabs, but I think all of them also have their negatives. To be honest, I think you might end up at the Roosters. That's yeah. that's my thinking on the whole situation. I think, first of all, he wants to play hooker, so I think he will leave the storm. And then, you know, the Roosters are an incredibly successful organisation and they've got a few Kiwi guys there who, who he's going to be friends with. We spoke about how the players talk to each other and, and, you know, want to come in and be settled straight away to a club. They've got that Kiwi kind of core there that, that he can settle in with nice and quickly. And I also know... You know, he's just done some deals with some guys like Budgie Smuggler based in Manly and yeah. and uh, the YKTR crew, they're also based out in the east there. So I think if he, he comes to Sydney and, and signs with the Roosters, he's going to be at another successful franchise and, and he can probably settle in pretty quickly to the Sydney lifestyle. Yeah, I, think, I don't think he'll go to the Roosters. I think there's so much pressure. Like, to be a larrikin like him... And to live in Sydney, there's so much spotlight, like anywhere he goes. And it's still the same, like living in Melbourne, but it's a little bit less. Is like if he goes to Sheaf on a Wednesday, right, everyone is going to be taking pictures of him, like everyone. And even because there's more Roosters fans over there in Double Bay, like they'll take more pictures of him. doesn't matter where he goes, like there's going to be so much hype around him because it's a rugby league town. Whereas if he stays in Melbourne, you know, it's the same. They're a one-club town, but the whole town is focused on a different sport um and then going up to Redcliffe which is I'm not sure if it's where he'll end up but there is you know a a good chance that that is where he could because there's money they can throw at him salary cap's not an issue 
um, but it's also kind of a chilled lifestyle up there. I think I think it more suits him, um, and him under Wayne Bennett would be crazy to see. So that's where I think he'll end up. But for me personally, I hope he stays at Melbourne because I think uh, I like the Melbourne setup. I like the way they play. So hopefully they can uh, uh, win a few more chips or the Titans win them. Now we'll move on to our final topic. The Wallabies' November tour came to an end with a disappointing loss to Wales uh, with a penalty goal after the siren. But it was an amazing weekend of rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, as I said at the top, there were some really heavyweights going against each other for the last weekend of International Rugby of the Year. And, and there were some last-minute results. You know, England got over South Africa with a last-minute penalty, and that was a rematch of the 2019 uh, World Cup final. So that was the first time they'd seen each other since then. And then... Wales beat uh, Australia as well with a with a last minute penalty goal, so that was pretty devastating for them. And then France actually beat the All Blacks pretty comfortably, which which was really probably the pick of the lot in terms of games. If I was to you know as a rugby union fan, if there's anyone out there that's looking at you know watch some rugby and watch some quality rugby union, that'd be a game that I would circle and and promote to anyone looking to get into the game. All Blacks are now two losses in a row, which is pretty you know, unusual for them. And the French are, are looking like a serious threat moving ahead to the World Cup, which will also be held in France. So, What well, yeah, gives you that indicator that they're going to be, you know, that they're becoming a powerhouse in, in rugby union? I think they've got a really good young core coming through. They, they actually won the last two under-20 world championships in, in 2018 and 19. And they've got a lot of those that group coming through now into the French national side. Um, their halves, you know, Anton Dupont is their captain and probably the best nine in the world at the moment. And Roman Intermac, their their fly half, is is really again probably in the top two or three fly halves in the world at the moment. They play an incredible, you know, free flowing brand of rugby and and you know when they play at home in particular, they're they're a different beast and they're they're difficult to stop. So. Having a home World Cup is, is going to be a huge benefit for them. So are they your tip? Two years out? Two years out, I'm going to have to go with the boys from France. Been repping it since 01. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Just for those who don't know, McKay is, uh, was born in France. So you kind of have ties to every nation. So, you know, you can really have the pick of the bunch, really. You can pick any team you want to support. But uh, we'll circle back to the Wallabies now. Their game was surrounded in controversy after Wales scored a try in the 48th minute, which appeared to come from a deliberate knock-on. Now, what did you make of that situation in the game? Yeah, it was one of those ones everyone was kind of looking around. Even the player that scored the try, he kind of made the knock-on at about 40 metres out, picks the ball up and, and kind of jogs in uncontested at the try line all the while, looking around, waiting for a whistle to, to come back. I think they judged that, that it went backwards and it's probably one of those ones, you know, it's a 50-50 call and I think the Wallabies can probably count themselves a bit unlucky, you know, with the call ultimately. But having said that, it, it did go through the TMO, TMO process. So, you know, that's the decision that was made and, and I guess Wales did well to capitalise on the situation and, and score the try, but I think the Wallabies can definitely count themselves pretty unlucky in that situation. But... Having said that, they also shot themselves in the foot throughout the game. They they had a lot of penalties, which we've spoken about before. You just you know can't do against the Northern Hemisphere sides who love their set piece and, and love their penalty goals. So at one point in the game, they were even down to 13 men where they had the red card to Rob Valentini and then Curtly Beale was, was yellow carded. And, and at those top levels, you just can't be you know giving yeah. sides that advantage. 100%. But... If the team most anything like the bunker is in the NRL, it's not reliable. Mm-hmm. It's not reliable. But 
No, it's still a very disappointing end of the year for the Wallabies. You know, when they left Australia, they were on, what, four straight wins? It's a disappointing end of the year to then lose three straight. But to win five out of your last eight games, that's that's a positive. But I think the negative is that three players missed for those final three games, and that was Quade Cooper, Samu Karevi, and Marika Korobetti. It shows a reliance on those three players. Are you worried for the Wallabies? Do you think their five wins here at home were, you know kind of just papering over some cracks what do you think i wouldn't say i'm worried just because you know look at if you look at the results other than the england game that they were really close and, and you know arguably they could have won probably both those scotland and wales games maybe even should have won so i wouldn't say worried it definitely probably is a bit of a leveler for australia and a bit of a you know shows where we really are as a nation we we do rely quite heavily on on those sort of key players particularly i think samu karevi is the key one out of those yeah, three definitely I think we spoke about at the start of the tour there was a bit of uncertainty around those players and and I don't know what sort of impact that had on the group. Um, Obviously them leaving kind of last minute and they kind of thought they would be there with them. Having said that, I think it also shows the strength of, you know, international rugby at the moment and the Northern Hemisphere sides probably had a little dip there for a few years and, and Australia had some good success over there. But, you know, we spoke about France, England and Scotland and Wales as well are really improving. So... I think, you know, the Australians, we're still building and I think by the World Cup we'll be right, but we're, we're not the finished product as yet. Now, with those three players, how much does it affect them coming back into the Wallaby side? Because obviously, or, or, we'll speculate on it, even though we're pretty sure it's correct. The clubs have told them, you can't play, come here. And they've been, you know, they've withdrawn from, from the November tour. How much does that affect their reputation within the squad, with the selection team, the coaches? How much does that affect, uh, especially a player like Quade Cooper's towards the end of his career, who has kind of had chance after chance with the Wallabies, and he, he does this to them? What do you think is the side effect of their decisions? I would say probably within the squad, it probably doesn't have much effect. I think those sort of players understand the different circumstances each other's in and, and they're not too worried. I think they're all pretty friendly in that crew. So okay. they kind of work in with the players coming in and out. But, you know, it might have a little bit of impact with the management side. You know, I'm not sure what kind of conversations went on there, but it, it did seem like, you know, Dave Rennie and, and co expected those players to be coming and then they pulled out. Having said that, I, I think they still will be back later later on. I think particularly Samu Karebi and Marika Korobetti. Quade Cooper will be back there as well, at least for the next series. And then yeah. obviously depends on the development of our other players for the World Cup and his own development. As you said, he's towards the end of his career. So barring injuries or whatnot, I, I'd expect him to be back. But having said that, they've got six months now in between test matches. So that's a lot of time for Rugby Australia and the clubs to hopefully... I guess smoothing out that process because this one was a bit, I guess, rushed because of things like COVID and whatnot. So they hadn't really done it before. And also the Wallabies are trying to get scrapped the Gitto law. So it's, yeah, this six months is huge off the field for the ARU um, where it's going to be quiet for the fans of Rugby Union. But uh, I can tell you there'll be a lot going on uh, backstage. But That'll do us for episode 26 of the Practice Drill Podcast. Another great episode. Shout out to Centro this time for giving us that killer outro. 
you know, I'm loving it. But uh, if you'd like to keep up to date on all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA basketball, go and follow us at T underscore practice drill on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Blaze, what are you looking forward to in the next week of cricket? Again, oh, I think sport actually. You guess took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I think the cricket build up is going to be even bigger. Obviously, the Tim Payne things happened. So, Cricket Australia are going to be trying to, I guess, distance themselves from that. And I guess they're going to be hoping some games starting now are going to help that. So, those games are definitely going to be interesting around selection. And, and there's a few spots available. So, some players will be definitely looking to take their spot in the Ashes team. I can't wait. I love the Ashes and I love the summer of cricket. It's always a great feeling when you know it's just around the corner. But anyway, enjoy your sport for the next week and we'll talk to you uh, then.